So welcome back to a brand new episode of Two Please. I'm your host Savit, and I'm your co-host Ruvit. And welcome back to to part two of this little series that we've put together of the best pictures that didn't really end up winning best pictures. And the reason we have a part two is because uh, part one was basically just my honorable mentions. Uh, I think I went overboard with it. We have covered roughly eight nine decades over. 20 odd films i think 15 20 yeah. odd films yeah which in sort of didn't make the cut for the final list <laughs> yeah in about like so it's it's that episode is out by the time you're listening to this so you definitely should go check it out but yeah let's let's get on with this show <laughs> cue the music All right. Now to the actual episode in mind. Yes. <laughs> oh man. I think last good. episode was was too manic. Today we'll just like savor each like we'll talk a little bit more and not just like do bullet points like we did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously I think this will have a little more in-depth information on each of the films that we're discussing. I believe we have a total of 8 to discuss today, right? Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Okay, where do we begin? Do you want to begin with with yours? Um do you want to add any disclaimers prior? Any honorable mentions you might have forgotten? No, no, no. I I dare not uh bring up any more honorable mentions. Um the only point here uh I mean when I had made the long list of 20 odd films I had arranged it chronologically. So even the even my honorable mentions for those of you who heard the episode I I went very chronological and since i've listed it down here in that fashion i'm just going to be lazy and sort of go down in that uh, order okay. that by no means is like an order of preference saying hey the this is not like a you know most yeah, like a ranking yeah. yeah this is no ranking here it's just the fact that it's written year wise is the reason i'm going in this order that's the only okay air quotes disclaimer i have but uh, cool, cool. cool i can go first i can go first let me start with uh, so the first movie i want to talk about in this list is uh, 1941 the year 1941 uh, in which year this movie called how green was my valley uh, won the best picture oscar and you know what this movie was named without even thinking twice about what it actually sounded like like i still can't believe that a movie called how green was my valley was green lit and nobody ever made a joke about it is this like an ass <laughs> joke very <laughs> 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 I do I have no idea and I and I don't think I want to like elaborate any further on it so let 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 it remain ambiguous okay fine I am I'm just, I'm just going to brush past that and uh how green is your valley dude a, yeah it's uh, disturbingly green <laughs> so uh coming back coming back let's let's focus on the valley in the movie and not our valleys okay yes. cool so um that year this little movie uh came out called citizen kane uh which i think today is considered like the quintessential movie makers movie it is it mm. is the the gold standard of what a critical darling is you know people say yeah. hey is it, this is the citizen kane of whatever yeah you yeah. know like that's the sort of superlative of... comparison it is used for yeah mm. I mean, like the Dark Knight was um, the Citizen exactly, Kane of exactly. superhero films. The Room is considered exactly. to be the Citizen Kane of terrible films. So you exactly. kind of know, like the moniker it has been given. Citizen Kane is now is now interchangeable with the highest form of expression in that particular field or whatever. So yeah, exactly. And and surprisingly, this is not a case of you know uh, retroactive appreciation for the film. even at the time of release people were hailing the movie as something revolutionary something you know a watershed moment for cinema orson welles was the quintessential cinematic genius a renaissance man who could act write direct what not and at the uh, age of 25 so, no less yeah, right 
Exactly, exactly. What a fuck so movie. very precocious, very yeah. I mean, making the rest of us look bad, asshole. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but in the case of Citizen Kane, uh, the reason why Citizen Kane did not win um, is is a there's a very interesting story behind it. For those of you who don't know, uh, uh-huh. quick brief about the movie. It's about this newspaper slash media tycoon uh, and his life right from his childhood up. It's it's basically a chronicle of his life up until. his death from his childhood to his death and there's a little sort of mystery uh yeah, weaved into the story um very there's a certain word whose significance people want to sort of get to the bottom of and then uh that's the big reveal at the end of the movie and uh, it's a great character study so the character of the media magnate charles foster kane was based on or at least so it is believed on william randolph first who was one of the two big uh media moguls in in america at that point there was hearst and then there was uh, pulitzer so these were like the two big uh, media folks uh, you could sort of say he was the the rupert murdoch of his time because uh, especially william randolph first you to used to deal in the more salacious uh, news items of the day uh, he is in big part uh, responsible for the rise of yellow journalism which had a lot of racist undertones so all in all from the looks of it not a very pleasant guy uh, and not somebody you would want to rub the wrong way which uh, orson welles clearly did because uh, his portrayal of charles foster kane shows him as an insecure as uh, a controlling as a petty uh, and you know overall not a very good guy and uh, hmm. it was i think more or less public knowledge that uh, he was inspired by william randolph first so first was very pissed uh, that this movie had come out and mm-hmm. uh, therefore he did there was an extensive campaign against ensuring this movie got no awards it got no critical uh, validation okay. so to speak a mm-hmm. uh, huge uh, slander campaign against it and he made sure that it uh, citizen kane did not win the oscar and this is in fact considered one of the biggest robberies while there are many more we'll go through today This one is in mm-hmm. particular is considered one of the biggest robberies in Oscar history, primarily because of how uh, highly esteemed the movie was considered not just today but even in its time. Uh, I personally found it narratively a little; it didn't hold my attention as much. Uh, again, mm-hmm. I watched it over a decade ago. I was a younger, more impetuous, yeah, yeah, patient yeah. man then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but I could still see at that point, like technically, around that how ahead it was for its time. uh but i found myself appreciating that more than the narrative again this you know this we've discussed this before that this happens when you see older movies today because you've probably seen them the stuff it has inspired already so exactly. for you the original yeah. feels derivative which is a bit of a disservice exactly. but what can you do mm, yeah uh no i think it's more to do with uh, especially when you're young right and and when you tend to watch films that are considered so called masterpieces uh and like you mentioned it having and you have you have seen films that have come after that have been heavily inspired by it so one you're seeing nothing you're seeing the inception of the idea and um, the pacing may not always be up to modern standards and and technology plays a huge part i know a lot of people have issues watching films in 4x3 which was the format for a lot of these films back in the day widescreen was uh, is a fairly new concept and didn't kick in Uh, several until several decades later so i i get it and um and i've kind of spoken about this on the pod a couple of episodes ago about my experience with mugliasm which is a film it's, it's a 3 3 and a half hour four hour epic uh, that is considered to be the top 5 films to have come out of india ever and it's a film i had a horrible time sitting through as a 15 14 15 year old cuz it was just so slow pacing wise and it as it was i think very um like it's extremely authentic urdu and i was having a hard time finding uh, or like trying to understand what was really happening in terms of dialogue so i i get what you mean when it comes to the whole citizen kane argument that you kind of have to need need to revisit a film during maybe a late, at a later point in your life to truly get it i hope that is that will be the case with 2001 if you've listened to the last episode we've gone on a bit of a a bit of a rant on on the ending of of it all uh, and i was actually reading subreddits and threads about it <laughs> and they everyone says the first time it will confuse you and irritate you but 3 to 4 watches down the line you will truly understand what they're getting at 
if a movie requires me to watch it three to four times to understand it, then it's not a good movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Which is also why Tenet is not, I could make the same argument for Tenet, right? Watch it three, four times, by the third, fourth time, you'll understand exactly what the fuck is happening and what people are saying. <laughs> and screw that, dude. Why do, I why is the onus on me to put that effort? Make a simpler, yeah. more understandable movie. Don't take Salvia and then direct. <laughs> I believe the, the thing with 2001 was he was making a film based on war. Uh, and then he just made a movie on war, I think, with Dr. Strange Love. And halfway through, he realized that he was making the same movie again, but didn't have the budget to um, to pivot into a whole other story. So but he made with what we what he had. And made 2000. But he outsourced it to Winamp uh, visualization <laughs> the last half an hour. <laughs> Winamp. Uh, but interesting. I mean, I, I think there's a, that 2001 conversation is for another day. I've, I was very intrigued by some of the concepts that were being discussed, but we'll keep that for another day. Uh, moving on, let's yes. move on to your next one. Because I, I think most of my films, at least, came from the 90s. So uh, let's move around chronologically. Okay, you want to bring, bring us up to... Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I'm sorry, I'm not yet done with 1941. <laughs> okay, there we go. The other quick movie I want to talk about or in that came out in 1941, a quick word here on Mank, because Mank deals with uh, Citizen Kane very, it's it's an integral part. It's about uh, Herman Mankiewicz who co-wrote the script, air quotes, co-wrote the script. He actually wrote the script for Citizen Kane. Uh, it's about him, the process of him having written the script, how he interacts uh, with people who he inevitably brings in the story and you can see there are characters from in uh, characters in the story which are inspired from real life and i think charles dance plays uh, william randolph first in mank um, yeah he does again i i personally didn't enjoy the movie as much i appreciate what david fincher was trying to do but i was like yeah cool it's it's fine it that is, it's about citizen kane but uh, it's a drag it's possibly my least favorite fincher film i think yeah definitely yeah. I think it's so a film just, that has all his mannerisms, but absolutely drags. So I try watching it if you, yeah. yeah, none of the charm. Yeah. So just wanted to put that out there. Uh, just you know, maybe somebody has watched Citizen Kane, hasn't watched Mank, vice versa. I just wanted to link the two. So the other 1940 movie I wanted to talk about is maybe not as as big a name as Citizen Kane, but I would say equally important to its genre, which is the Maltese Falcon. 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 Yeah. Okay. Just the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> Uh, starring mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre, um, among a host of other actors, directed by John Huston. I would say this is the... I'm not sure if this movie kicked off the neo-noir... Sorry, not neo-noir. Uh, if this movie kicked off the noir uh, genre of films, but this was probably the first and arguably the biggest uh, entry in that noir uh, genre of films. And... Uh, Mightily aided by Humphrey Bogart's energy that he bring, uh, brought on screen, which was this sort of emotionally guarded tough guy uh, who knows how to get out of every problem. I would, I, at least this is my interpretation, I feel Don Draper is heavily inspired by Humphrey Bogart in mannerism, in, in dressing, in the way he deals with situations. So, you know, I see that mm-hmm. blueprint of somebody like a Don Draper in, in, in all of Bogart's roles. Uh, with probably the exception of the African Queen. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, <laughs> he plays Detective Sam Spade in the movie. And the artifact that is stolen at the start of the movie is the titular Maltese Falcon, which is this uh, fabled, very old, centuries-old uh, sort of symbolic uh, sculpture of a falcon. And the whole the rest of the movie is him trying to figure out who's stolen it and you know trying to recover it. I remember watching this movie very long ago, I think 2010 types. So I unfortunately don't remember most of it. Personally, I'm not a big fan of uh, noir films. I I Mm -hmm. like very few of them. Uh, Even in neo-noir, I'd say with the exception of maybe LA Confidential, I I don't really find myself interested in watching these very slow pot boilers. And, And the Maltese Falcon, for all its merits, at least in my opinion, is, is quite slow. But that mm-hmm. said, I'm sure it's better than How Green Was My Valley. So, which is why I thought I should <laughs> uh, give it a shout out. Yeah. So, that was 1941. Um, okay, let's quickly move on to the next one. This is the year 1976. Now, mm-hmm. here, again, when 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 you have these listicles that talk about 
great Oscar robberies over the years. This is a this is an entry that is almost you're definitely going to see. Um, mm-hmm. Although now you know, uh, I mean, when I when I wrote this down and between the time I wrote it down and uh, us recording, I was giving it thought. I don't know if I feel as conflicted about it. Uh, I don't feel conflicted about it at all. <laughs> I had I, a feeling it wouldn't, and, and let's no. let's uh, let's tell people what we're talking about, so that they, you know it doesn't seem like we're speaking in riddles. The movie mm-hmm. that won the best Oscar that year was uh, Sylvester Stallone's Rocky. Uh, yeah, the other movie that a lot of people feel should have won that year, and is probably considered probably considered Martin Scorsese's best work, is uh, Taxi Driver, starring mm-hmm. Robert De Niro. Now let's get into why we feel it may not be as much of a robbery as people make it out to be. So, a uh, taxi driver obviously is the story of this guy who's down and out, who he thinks. I mean, if you watch Joker, you've basically seen an updated version of Taxi Driver. Uh, yeah, that's nice. essentially the pitch, right? That's kind of what you're going in. It's, it's this is New York, and it's most serious. There's a guy who is convinced that you know. Um, the world is this horrible, dreary place, and there's no hope for anyone. And then on the other side, you have <laughs> you you have a story just set a few uh, a couple a few miles down the road in Philadelphia. I think has gone on to become the classic underdog story in any film. And even the story as to what it took to get this movie made is extremely inspiring because Stallone I mean, came from nothing poor as shit then one day realized um, that he wanted to make this movie about a boxer with a heart of gold and decided to write it and then took it to studios and the studios tried to get um, other actors in but Stallone fought and said no it's going to be me I want to be the star of the show they cut his budget they did everything possible to make sure that he would not be the star of this film but ultimately Stallone stuck to his guns and he came out with this a massive fucking success and even they tried to they tried to shortchange him even in the um, ceremony they didn't he I mean he's not the movie's not directed by him it's directed by John G Avildsen if I'm not mistaken Avildsen uh, yeah and his other claim to fame is the guy who did the first three Karate Kid films so he has like dude he so has boxing and karate karate, yeah. karate yeah. I mean yeah don't mess uh, with John G Avildsen <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and um, so when they announced it as best picture. You can see if you watch the footage, Stallone runs up on stage, and initially they're kind of not apprehensive about him bringing, you know, bringing him on stage. And he's in this really ugly suit, but obviously you can tell how happy he is. Um, and for me, one of the best, like for the perfect underdog film. Uh, I was initially very, like, in the early days of me like searching through film history and just like getting to know. Uh, film from before my time I was obviously annoyed that Scorsese had lost out to um, Stallone for for Taxi Driver but as I've grown older I've come to appreciate Rocky a lot more Uh, Mm -hmm. I've watched Creed I was in the first Creed I was in a theater here in in Bangalore and the whole theater was chanting Rocky's name as he's fighting cancer so that's (laughs) the legacy of the film but the movie's not even about him so I, I have no qualms about this anymore. I did for a very long time, but I'm perfectly comfortable saying Rocky is a deserved best picture winner. Yeah, no, as in, uh, I I started off when we wrote, when I made this list, I started off thinking, hey, you know what, maybe it is a robbery. But then I remembered when I had watched Taxi Driver. Firstly, like you said, I the the character of Travis Bickle that Robert De Niro plays, um, yeah, one. I, I get that he's a tragic character and by, by no means is he a protagonist in the sense that he's a righteous person. He's a, he's a messed up individual scarred by his experiences in the Vietnam war. I think he's a Vietnam vet. So, yeah. uh, comes back into society, struggles to fit in, uh, is very much the proto incel. I feel he's, he's, he is the blueprint of, you know, somebody who is withdrawn from society, unable to interact with the opposite sex uh, has a lot of repressed emotion inside and obviously there is this big burst that happens towards the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil or give away too much. There's a big, it, it comes out in a, in a fashion and uh, yeah. you see that a lot of with uh, a lot of these uh, school shooters in the US. Uh, it's almost mm-hmm. like uh, Travis Bickle is the template they're inadvertently uh, following. So mm-hmm. 
it's a very difficult movie to watch it's a i remember it was a miserable watching experience mm-hmm. as is intended to be it's it's not a fun movie there aren't any no, moments no. of levity there is no let up throughout the movie so, you think that anything that had anything to do with his with dinero's casting in joker i'm sure i'm sure it was a nod to the fact that hey you know we're sort of heavily paying homage to your work so we'd want you to uh, you know play a part in it and like you said even mm-hmm. joker for that matter it does not let up right it's unrelenting it's just sad it's it's not a pleasant experience and rocky on the other hand is a, like you said is a is a complete contrast it's it's a complete feel good underdog story and you know for a change you're really rooting for the guy as against to as against uh, travis pickle where you're just horrified by what he's doing and the way he's behaving yeah. so i think as you grow older like you said there's enough shit in the world as is right we just want yeah. we go to the movies to feel good and that is a rocky knox taxi driver out pun intended so and you know uh, funnily enough the thing with rocky right like you you have obviously the formulaic underdog story but the one amazing thing about rocky is that he doesn't win in the end yeah like obviously the, yeah the film has become much more cartoonish let's say in 2 3 4 4 i think is a straight up super very end communism single handedly yeah, exactly communism like, the, exactly right so this is the first film where it's it's like it's not about what's the line life's not about how hard of a hit you can give it's about how many you can take and still keep moving forward and that's the thing with rocky right like the whole thing is he's, he's the ability to take punches and still keep standing and i think that message, message yeah it's it's a, yeah. it's a great message that resonated with a lot of people and now i'm very happy for stallone that happened that happened for him it kind of gave birth to a to an action star career that has not always made the right decisions but i think our lives would be less entertaining without sylvester stallone in them true true so maybe yeah. not as much of a, a movie being robbed but i'm glad we had this discussion because I know there are yeah. people who say taxi driver should have won. I guess there is a scholastic argument to be made for it, but for Rocky sure, yeah. is just a better cinematic experience. I think now we're my next entry is in the nineties, so you can jump in. All right. So I think speaking of films that <laughs> that Martin Scorsese has lost out to, this is the film I genuinely feel bad for because nineteen ninety three is Goodfellas is as perfect as a gangster film one could ever hope to make it is it stars mm-hmm. really or robert de niro joe pesci and basically half the cast of sopranos i was watching the film and going holy shit like <laughs> my michael imperioli is in this uh lorraine bracco is there lorraine bracco is literally the therapist in uh, the first episode of the sopranos and right. i i kind of watched the first episode of sopranos and went back to watching goodfellas and i was like oh okay everyone is is <laughs> is in this and this is kind of the inception of it it's a does the story of henry hill as he uh, becomes a part of this big mob family in brooklyn in in new york and then the trials and tribulations of being part of a mob come their way then he has the highs he's crushing lows and then cops get involved there are several bloodbath and ensue there's a wonderful sequence involving joe pesci and ray liotta in, in a restaurant where joe pesci busts his balls in this highly tense sequence ultimately thing i'm funny yeah <laughs> that ends uh, culminates in this bout of laughter uh, this is the perfect use of gimme shelter i think so one of the first few films to incorporate gimme shelter before scorsese just started shoehorning it in every other film he could possibly find I think it plays in Casino. It plays in this. It plays in The Departed. And like, yeah, we um, get it. You like the Rolling Stones. Yeah, I know. We 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 saw the two documentaries. So, <laughs> dude, Goodfellas, I think is in terms of rewatchable capability as well, is right up there. It's a near perfect film. Great performances by everyone involved. Just a real shame that it didn't win. I would say for me, Joe Pesci is the is the star of the show here. Overshadows Robert De Niro. That that is you know in and of something I I would I would have thought impossible. But in this movie is like peak Joe Pesci. It's the perfect energy that his character requires. That the movie requires. You know, a movie needs to have two three anchors. This is like you know that one anchor, one crazy. 
you know there's a crazy energy that he brings you need somebody to stabilize it you need a robert de niro and a, a ray liotta to stabilize joe pesci's craziness in the film i feel and uh, i feel the other thing this movie does really well and uh, what sopranos does even even a lot lot much better is it shows that it it sort of deglorifies the mob life because you you watch a godfather or you watch a, any of those you know classy or classic mob films nothing against godfather it's a brilliant film but it's not mm. a realistic at least from what we we know what little we know it's not as yeah. much of a realistic uh, depiction of the mob life it's romanticized there's a lot of honor and you know people are dressed in suits all the time and it's yeah. it you know they don't show the dirty work that you need to do but good mm-hmm. film and i would say especially soprano soprano is just bleak in that regard it shows how the mob life is is a grind it's depressing it's it's bloody you need to get your hands dirty there's betrayals there's disappointment there's frustration mm-hmm. it's not it they make sure to drive hammer home the point that it's not like a glamorous aspiration life it's it's shit because the life of crime is shit so like mm-hmm. you know make sure you they make sure the audience understand that and goodfellas manages to package that in a in an entertainment in an sorry in an entertaining way while i feel the in the, in the case of sopranos since you brought it up like i'm just thinking of the parallels the bleakness of the portrayal is is part of the charm of sopranos while goodfellas does it in a slicker and more entertaining way entertaining way hmm. who did uh, so so who are the other dancers that the bulls won that day Uh, I, the thing is i don't think you and i understand the cultural impact of that film because um this is by not committed any genocide <laughs> <laughs> 1990 i mean let's call it what it is what it is right they committed genocide mm-hmm. against the native americans so. <laughs> yeah that really basically is it and this is what um this is kevin costner's big breakout right as Funny enough, yes. I was just listening to, I was listening to an episode uh, of the Rewatchables podcast while I was working out uh, on the Untouchables, and apparently they they were all discussing about how they got Kevin Costner for cheap on that that film because this mm. happened a, a year or so later, and it absolutely exploded. They would have not be able, they would not have been able to afford Costner in the Elliot Ness role because one, I don't think Elliot Ness is necessarily the star of the film. No, I think like, early nineties Costner. I would say right, right up until ninety five, ninety six, or even a couple of years before and after. Field of Dreams, yeah, uh, your yeah, Dances with Wolves, uh, Postman. Postman. Costner yeah. was this like he was Midas. Anything he touched was gold. Like I don't he's particularly good. find him to be a great actor, but I think he's a good producer, director. He knows what story works. He's able to pick. He's, he's a right great-looking leading man, dude. So that, that there's that. Yes, he has that, that look. That do. Like he was, I think, side by side. If you compare him and Harrison Ford, were definitely up there in terms of like those rugged leading men uh, of the '80s and the '90s. I think Goss is having a bit of a, a renaissance with um, with Yellowstone, right? It's a show I haven't seen, but yes, yes. I've I've heard it's uh, it has its problems, but people really love seem to love the show. Yeah, and then Harrison Ford is in some prequel movie with <laughs> where he's in it. Yeah, so he signed up for a, like Yellowstone associated film. So make of that what you will. But coming back to Goodfellas, it losing out to Dances with Wolves uh, is 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 a bit. This is also one of those uh, you know you will find it in every listicle. One of those great robberies. Yeah. Which again, I mean, Scorsese's life is a great robbery. <laughs> I feel bad, dude. I I don't know, but like, but what would you watch today? Would you watch Dances with Wolves if it were on television, or would you watch for Goodfellas if it were on television? I feel the latter works because you just sit down and start. And obviously, the the, the thing that favors Goodfellas is it's a gangster film, so automatically it's more engaging. Ray Liotta's narration really helps the movie, oh, yeah. you know, go along. Extremely terrible yeah. uh, film yes. choices post, but. some of them really entertaining yeah. but for the, for the for the most part a lot of a lot more misses than hits yeah so yeah, yeah that's that's good fellas what okay. else do we have next up uh, up next is we're going to jump a few years ahead this is again one of those movies where uh, i think 
I think this is probably in my opinion. I don't know if people cons if general consensus is this is the biggest robbery, but in my opinion, this is out and out utter crock, which is uh-huh. 1998 when uh, Shakespeare in Love uh, won. I mean, these are movies that released in 97, 98. So Shakespeare in Love won the Best Picture Oscar that year, a year in which you had uh, two movies in which, in my contention, uh, were I mean, not contention. Fuck that. The two movies are clearly better than Shakespeare in Love. The okay. first movie I want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to save the the more obvious second movie for later. The first movie I want to talk about is Roberto Benigni's Life is Beautiful. I agree, it's not an English movie. Uh, maybe if the Academy was not yet ready to give a non-English movie best picture, uh, it took until 2019 for that to happen. But I mean, Shakespeare and Love. Come on, what a mediocre piece of shit. Javier uh, uh, Weinstein and Miramax just like. This is considered to be logic. The, the greatest marketing campaign ever pulled off for a film because um, right yeah right I think this is a movie directed by John Madden and is basically a retelling of Twelfth Night right that's I, as I you like so. it yeah I haven't it, cared it, enough to even check yeah yeah this is Ben Affleck post I don't know what is what Ben Affleck is doing this movie but post Good Will Hunting this is his seemingly his next project. But uh, the story goes that it wasn't that uh, Miramax, this guy, uh, Randolph. No, Joseph Fiennes was uh, William Shakespeare. Yeah, Joseph Fiennes. Yeah, yeah, Joseph Fiennes is William Shakespeare. I think Ben Affleck is one of the side characters, and Gwyneth Paltrow is the female lead. Yes. Um, so Paltrow won for this. I think this is. I think she's twenty two, twenty three when this movie comes out, and she, she wins the best uh, actress the for Oscar this. That so Sorry, it will be get to the marketing excuse me this year story. had elizabeth yeah. you had kate blanchett as a kate blanchett right as elizabeth yeah kate exactly and you're yeah. telling me gwyneth paltrow and go fuck yourself <laughs> yeah didn't uh, blanchett eventually win for blue jasmine years later yeah she did she did 2013 yeah fucking hell dude so <laughs> these were the actress noms for that year i think it was paltrow who fell in love Meryl Streep, One True Thing, a movie I have not even seen, less heard of. What? Meryl Streep doesn't have to show up. Hey, she has made a movie this year. Nominate Carlo, yar, usko. Kabi nahi, Carlo was. Fernanda Montenegro, uh, Central Station, Emily Watson, Hilary and Jackie, and Kate Blanchett, Elizabeth. Those were that was her competition. But so what happened after the screening of this film and when it? eventually released was people went up to Harvey and told him like this is a blowout for you right because you're going up against saving private ryan which obviously you have hollywood royalty instead so we hadn't gotten around to talking to yet but we will that was the the bigger yeah. one like yeah okay, yes, you had saving private ryan yeah and uh, he was told that there's no chance you're not going to like get anything and and then he began this marketing offensive launch where for 3 months he instructed his actors to go do all the press possible that they could do he invited several academy members to like fancy lunches and dinners and wine and dine them got them to uh, mingle with other hollywood celebrities sent them dvd screeners of shakespeare in love to watch in their house a lot of this was considered to be towing the line back in the day and then went on this marketing offensive yet again saying that saving private ryan is only the first 15 minutes there's nothing else to the film and that is what eventually spun uh, the academy's opinion uh, one of the well i thought how he PR... should be able to recognize a good assault when he sees one but okay <laughs> surely does right yeah <laughs> and as a result i think even spielberg said don't get in the mud with harvey we don't want to do do this when he was told about what was happening and comes the oscars i think spielberg wins best director but shakespeare in love wins best picture academy the bunch of stupid sluts i, I mean think that if, if, also was was uh, the thin red line right terren Mal- terrence malick's yes, the also thin, red, thin red, line. red line which i think is arguably terence malick's best film so yeah for sure right it has the best I mean, hero performance in a movie that was completely cut out oh damn <laughs> Feel sad uh, for both. him, but uh, coming back to Saving Private Ryan, I mean, yeah. again, one of those movies which defines the genre. Now, mm. if you were to talk about war films, odds are Saving Private Ryan is going to be among the first three films that you're 
you know that's going to come to mind and uh, obviously the the opening is great there is nothing in cinema that i have come across so far that has the intensity of the first 15 minutes of saving private ryan nothing oh, and in fact when they were screening the movie for world war 2 vets a lot of them had their ptsd triggered again after watching that scene because it was so realistic they felt like they were back on uh, omaha beach and oh, a lot of them had to go see their psychiatrists again to sort of deal with the, the trauma or those wounds opening up again so i mean when you know your your it's almost i mean not almost it is a bad thing like you know it's too it's so good it's bad it's so accurate it's so exactly. true and i recently yeah. watched it uh, i think on and off when i feel my life is too idyllic and you know things are going around too well i i, I watch those first 15 minutes just to like fuck myself up <laughs> and i recently <laughs> did that again i'm like my god like your own but blood pressure increases when you watch it i mean and that's just the first 15 minutes have you anything an idiot to say that the rest of the movie doesn't obviously it's not as good you know the film reaches its heights in the first 15 minutes but it's not like it plummets afterwards it's a great oh, sure, movie about a group of people mm-hmm. who are working together have a great leader in tom hanks's character uh, i feel the ending is a bit sappy but yeah that's something you expect right the premise of the movie is that the mother has sent her three sons into battle two of them have died and they want to save the last son so that uh, she doesn't have all her sons die in battle right off the bat it's mm. a sappy premise and you know what you're getting in again for it's and you know with a premise like this imagine you set this up and at the end of the sun dies you're like what the fuck right so you know it's a, exactly it's be yeah. a happy happy ending so nothing that lets you down this movie in, in my opinion is at least as far as war films go it's a perfect movie i think i remember i remember watching this and i obviously couldn't watch it in theater I wasn't allowed to go. I was what a child, nine ninety-eight. I was what seven years old, uh, yeah. and <laughs> I watched it on on cable television years later. And this was when Indian cable television didn't censor everything with a drop of a hat. So that first fifteen minutes, I remember being shook. And there's this one image that has stayed with me for twenty years, which is when this guy gets shot in his. Let me let me let me let me let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Is it the guy a part where yeah. he holds his arm in his hand and walks around in a daze back and forth? Oh no, that that too, that that as well. But <laughs> what I think this is a guy you follow for some time, and then he gets shot uh, in his helmet, oh, and he removes yeah. his helmet, and he pours the blood out of it, and then gets shot again. Yes, yes. So, uh, so much. There's one more where where Tom Hanks is talking to the guy with the phone. He's like, tell them something. I'm yeah. the instruction. He moves back. Then yeah. again, the camera moves. Tells you something. Something. Third time he moves, the guy is dead. I'm dead. Like, yeah, dude, this is just what the hell. There's a, a Bangalore reference in the first fifteen minutes. The Bangalore yes, torpedo. Yes, because a type of uh, type of torpedo called Bangalore's. Exactly. But so, uh, I think that scene, especially inevitably, you find yourself putting yourself in the shoes of those men at least i have always done wondering whether i could go through it like they did and inevitably the answer always is fuck no dude i don't think i had the balls <laughs> to do that there's a, a great sniper sequence i think about halfway through the film that no one really gets talked yes it doesn't get talked about yes. as much and i think it ends with the sniper getting shot through his scope and it is yes. that bam that that effect and i was like oh so well done But again, I never really thought of this. But this is what this eventually this kind of pits Affleck and Damon against each other for the first time. Because Damon goes along and does this; he mm-hmm. is Private Ryan, and Affleck is in Shakespeare in Love doing whatever he is doing. Uh, ultimately, Affleck comes on top with 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 the Best Picture win, undeservedly so. But that that's the way the cookie crumbled. A little bit of trivia here for those who might be interested. So. obviously in the movie the team is now you know there's a bunch of people dedicated to saving one guy which exactly. logically doesn't make sense right and so naturally this group resents private ryan even before they've met him like why are we putting our lives yeah. are online for this one guy and spielberg wanted to sort of have this dynamic look a little more natural so before the movie started during pre production all of the actors had to go through boot camp to prepare themselves for you know when you are going to portray army men so you need to look and yeah. act the part but uh, matt damon was not part of the boot camp and therefore you know he sort of had an easy run up to the production and 
uh, all of the other actors are specifically told that while you guys are going through this grind, Matt Damon is not. He's just going to join you for the movie, and you know he's going to have an easy time of it. And that obviously yes. built resentment in the in the actors themselves against uh, Matt Damon, which is the sort of energy that played into the movie to- as well. So. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, to bring to the screen. So, clever bit of manipulation there from Spielberg. Okay, then let's move on. Shall we move on? I think mine is coming up next in 2001. Yeah. So, um, I think we, we spoke about this in the honorable mentions. Initially, we we're talking about, about Chicago winning Best Picture over the two yes. towers. And logically, that makes sense because as time has passed, the legacy of two towers has only grown and grown and grown. There are very few things in that film I find wrong. If at all, I don't find anything wrong with The Two Towers. I think it's a near-perfect fantasy film that suffers from being the middle of, of, a, of a trilogy, right? That's really, that's basically what it is. Uh, also, I feel, again, this one is a controversial not, statement, uh, but I feel they, oh, they yeah. sort of felt that they had shortchanged the first two films and maybe overcompensated with Return of the King. It was sort of like they were awarding the trilogy. Exactly. I think Return of the King is a great blockbuster film. I don't think it's best picture. And I can say this, even though Return of the King went in, like smashed out of the park, 13 for 13 Oscar nominations and wins. So Return of the King has the glory, has is the ultimate conclusion to a wonderful series. But the movie I want to talk about is 2001's Fellowship of the Ring, which to me is the perfect fantasy film. Of course, Two Towers, as I just mentioned, I made the case for Two Towers being the perfect fantasy film. But in terms of introducing a story, introducing characters, introducing a spectacle, and making you care for these characters at the end of its runtime, and leaving you wanting more, I don't think a film does this better than The Fellowship of the Ring. It lost out to a beautiful mind, Yes, a good Russell Crowe performance, but very oscar baiting in my opinion. I know a lot of people love this film. I think it's okay. Um, it's a Ron Howard-directed film that's very straightforward and tells the story of this, this mad genius. Um, it's, just a John, it's the John Nash story, right? Yep. So nice. it played to the right audiences, but when it comes to The Fellowship of the Ring... This is a series long since considered unadaptable, purely because just how deep the source material is. Mm-hmm. And to have a director basically shoot these three films together in extremely chaotic fashion, then start splicing uh, the story together, make it not just coherent, but also extremely engaging and bringing together like this group of people that are mysterious, intriguing, loving, and just about the most wonderful set of people that you could connect to uh, on a film. And it balances this out over a three-hour spectacle that as a 10-year-old, this is my Star Wars. So this is, <laughs> so as kids who mm. grew up in the 70s and went to watch Star Wars, were so taken aback by like these giant Death Stars and Star, and Star Destroyers. This for me, when I first saw the Urukai, I remember the dread I felt. I remember the sense of awe watching the Fellowship Cross, the Bridge of Khazad-dum, the, the sequence in the forest with the Nazgul, the sequence with Amon Han and Sean B's Boromir um, taking on like a legion of Ox. And the music for this film, the score is just phenomenal. Howard Shaw, right? Uh, Howard Shaw. Oh, it is so damn good. It has you crying at the end. Uh, Performances-wise, uh, Ian McKellen, I think, was nominated for this, but didn't end up winning. I mean, it was the last of the acting norms that this film received. Just, it's a movie that holds up today. Yes, there are parts of the film where you can tell the CGI needs to be updated a little bit, especially the watcher mm-hmm. sequence right outside the Mines of Moria. But you you can introduce this film to a generation of kids. Like even, I'd say, 30, 40 years down the line, people will be watching Fellowship of the Ring and going, this is the movie that started all, that really kickstarted high fantasy in Hollywood. Uh, and I mean, I feel the reason uh, the first two movies didn't win. Um, again, I would say the return of the King is the exception that to me proves the rule is that I feel the Academy has a very clear idea of the role of cinema and what sort of stories good cinema should tell and fantasy horror. These 
movies or these genres don't, don't really lie really don't come within their definition so i guess return of the king was them realizing hey there's overwhelming critical acclaim for this trilogy and if we don't acknowledge it this is going to be a big blemish so we're a bit, a bit a bit late to the party but let's let's raise the toast even if it's a little late to it so let me but i guess also say the fact word, right? of the king, apart from that yeah. there's no there's no fantasy that that and there's been a fair amount of good fantasy but nothing's one like i think that was the first and the last time a fantasy based film won like there are some moments in return of the king that are very fan servicey and there are some moments in there that are just pure uh, cinema so to speak would you like say it's the, the weakest of the three i would definitely the weakest of the three it's the longest it, yeah. it has to do the most like set piece carrying Closer. of the three because it's yeah exactly because and it has way too many endings and it's not the fault of Why the director not? they literally cut out the scouring of the shire because uh, which is a pivotal part in in the series right because frodo returns home and then he realizes that war has affected his home as well but they didn't want to make keep the leave the audience on a on a sad note so there's in spite of that way too many endings jack nicholson famously spoke about it um but such an entertaining spectacle samwise gamgee is the star of the third film but if you were to truly like find for me especially for me like the, the perfect encapsulation of what a fantasy fantasy film should look sound and feel like fellowship of the ring is where you go i i agree i mean in my limited capacity as somebody as people might know does not like the lot yeah. yeah i still have to agree yeah, i would say it's yeah. progressively worse so to speak i would say fellowship is the mm. best and then the two towers and then return of the king mm. versus putting it harshly but you get what i mean i feel it's just yeah amazing great and good in a way so like i'll, I'll give one more like hat tip to the two towers because we watched the battle of winterfell last two three years ago yeah four years ago yeah. at this point yes yeah. uh and it was supposed to outmatch helms deep no <laughs>
is looking for his next big star and finds him working in this kitchen <laughs> of a big star of a club. <laughs> yeah. Uh this dude called Eddie and then he takes him in and thus Dirk Diggler is born and the story again is a, a tale of how Dirk hits the big time <laughs> and ultimately <laughs> you know, like yeah. <laughs> and of course jack's journey through wanting to make real good authentic film like that's that's the wonderful thing about this film is that everyone thinks they're making art <laughs> but they're actually like just shooting porn and you can see the the home video market looming in the distance that ultimately comes to play and there's so much about this film that is so entertaining i watched it recently in preparation for this episode and i and i think it's what it's about easily close to 2 2 plus out 2 and a half to 240 i think it lands at not a dull moment in its entire screening there are some absurd sequences in here especially the bad porn acting the bad porn acting is a standout in this film i don't know how they managed to do it but they really managed to like hit the spot <laughs> i'm on a roll here but on a more serious topic i think there are the, the biggest strength of this film is that there are at least about 5 to 7 at least eight characters that have full fledged storylines with concluding arcs good or bad and that's very difficult to do you are you remember every character in the film and where the journey ultimately ends up taking them what trials and tribulations they've had to face along the way um how they overcome them it's great performances by everybody i think burt reynolds is probably the star in this film um i still boggles my mind that the lead is played by mark wahlberg i like who delivers a really good performance everyone remembers mark wahlberg from the departed because that was his oscar nom right but he's really yeah. good in this um and this is like just very early into his acting career to have worked with paul thomas anderson that early is is highly commendable so i haven't watched the film uh, i mean i've i've read a little about it and and mm. i have a vague idea of what it's about i think from what little i know uh, what you said makes sense to me and clearly you love the movie i am just going to speak a little bit about the other side the fact that this the story of dirk digler was i mean it's not a, a i don't think it's uh, acknowledged directly but it's it's inspired by the life of mm. uh, the pornographic actor john c holmes um mm. who again had a very tumultuous and short-lived life he died at the age of 43 uh from mm. complications from aids and uh, i'm sure as some of you know the the porn industry looks very glamorous obviously looks desirable you know especially if you're a male performer mm. on the surface you're like hey what a life but it's 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 very cynical it's very draining it's Yeah, it's a nasty the, the behind the scenes yeah is is very unglamorous it's, it's and you know people tend to have very short careers because it really sucks the life out of you uh and i i i'm guessing the movie does also manage to put that point across oh, of course so, for sure i think there are some extremely damning sequences in the film that really highlight the pitfalls and what it's like Uh, yeah so just, uh, that's the thing it's it's a uh, and in fact john holmes himself did not have a very happy life uh that said uh, if you if you if you go to john holmes wikipedia article the very second paragraph like the first paragraph is usually like you know their name they were born this year the very second mm-hmm. paragraph is holmes was best known for his exceptionally large penis <laughs> yeah and, and wikipedia is not somebody that does hyperbole right like yeah. wikipedia is very measured in because it's Number of people have moderated it, and when thousands of people have collectively decided, yes, we're going to keep the word exceptionally large. I'm just curious. I got, I got to find me some John Holmes films, man. Yeah, the, the theory is, I mean, rather the rumor was that he couldn't fully get hard because he would, he would oh, pass okay. out. Uh, oh, because <laughs> all the blood would, <laughs> blood would, yeah. And like, there's a shot in the film that ultimately shows the Dirk Diggler's uh, piece. And uh, there were for years rumors of whether it was actually Mark Wahlberg or whether it was just a uh, Mark Wahlberg would love that, love for that to be believed. Yeah. Right? It's not. It wasn't. It was debunked very quickly because um, yeah, it was a fraud sure. that was that was used. Yeah. Uh I think Wahlberg now doesn't doesn't look ve- back very fondly on it because of his religious beliefs. He he likes it. He likes the idea. He's like he like being a part of it. But it's a film that he doesn't 
particularly love i think the depart is something he likes a lot more he connects a lot more with it than he does with uh, with boogie mm-hmm. nights okay we'll move But, on uh, interesting yes. this is this is a bit of a, an outlier in the sense that instead of thing talking about movies that were nominated and should have won this was a new nominated so it's like a bigger travesty it was there. it yeah Like even if it were nominated and it lost it to Titanic, you can't really complain, right? It's, But you feel that it wasn't even acknowledged by a nomination. Yeah, that's the bigger guess. Yeah, that's, that's the bigger guess. Exactly. Um. Okay. Next up, I want to talk about the year two thousand five. Now, in this case, the movie that I feel should have won, it's not as much about the fact that this movie should have won, but the fact that the movie that did eventually win is just trash. Uh, sorry, did I say mm-hmm. trash? I meant crash. Uh, <laughs> this was uh, 2005 crash, which is like a high schooler writing about racial prejudice and uh, uh, race relations, and you know, prejudice at large, and people from different walks of life learning to come together. It's a juvenile infantile script, uh, acted out in a juvenile infantile manner. The movie almost, I would say, patronizes the viewer. To the point mm-hmm. where you feel, why am I being spoken down to? Uh, mm-hmm. And this I felt when I watched the movie as a kid. I don't think I can. Do it. <laughs> so, uh, Brokeback Mountain, on the other hand, I would say so this this was the movie I thought uh, should have won that year, and not just me. I many people feel Brokeback Mountain was unjustly robbed that year. Uh, it's a sort of proto Moonlight. In I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the right way to put it. uh i love moonlight i mean moonlight for me mm-hmm. is is probably the best movie of the 20 whatever the decade 2011 to 2020 mm-hmm. i mean not best movie obviously it had parasite that year but among among the best yeah. i really really love moonlight mm-hmm. rockback mountain has that similar energy it's about to like if moonlight is about Branches. the fact that it's very difficult for black men to come out as gay and mm-hmm. come to terms with that fact because it's a hyper masculine world Brokeback Mountain mm. again is about two cowboys, which is equally, if not more, mm. hyper masculine in image uh, in its image. And you have two men who have to come to terms with the fact that they're feeling things that they don't understand, and mm. sort of coming to grips with it's it's a very complicated space to navigate that Ang Lee has mm. masterfully done. Great performances mm. from both Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal. uh in fact even from the the leading ladies who are ann hathaway uh, and ann hathaway uh, and michelle williams so great cast all around and um, very nuanced performances as begets a very nuanced treatment of a very sensitive topic um i feel brokeback mountain walked so that moonlight could fly or the run fly mm. how whatever the metaphor is but uh mm. I guess it was ahead of its time. People weren't comfortable acknowledging and awarding a movie like that. I mean, eight years mm-hmm. on the line, you had a Dallas Buyers Club have Matthew McConaughey win Best Actor. You had Jared Leto play the sort of character he did. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it was ahead of its time. I don't know. I, I there is honestly no rationalization in my mind for why trash one. So. <laughs> and even I think uh, they tried to. Um, what's what's the term I'm looking for? Because there was a poster that they released right for Brokeback Mountain that tried to portray it like as a, as a straight film. Um, Is it because they they didn't? I don't know. Maybe from a business perspective, they didn't want to drive away audiences. Yeah, something. Yeah, so I don't know. I feel like Brokeback had its fair share of challenges to overcome, especially while marketing the film as well. Um, so it didn't help that when what happened to it. happened when crash is i still maintain is it is like a horrible mix of heat and magnolia both very good 90s films i don't i don't think heat got even nominated in 95 so that's another big skip oh, from from the academy so like if you want to watch crash i'd much prefer you guys go and watch heat masu brokeback i think angli has time and time again proven to be a great director with insane pedigree who's able to handle mm. extremely sensitive subjects uh with ease and i believe he won he wins best director for this and but the film yes. loses i think that's this is the first time i'd ever heard of that happening <laughs> when i was when I, up until i was paying attention silly 
Okay, so let's move on to the next one. Okay, so the last entry for this episode from my side. Uh, again, this I don't know if is as much of a contentious opinion. This is very much a personal, subjective opinion. I don't know if Abin might even agree with me. But the year I want to talk about is 2017, which is the year that uh, the shape of water, or as I like to call it, grinding Nemo, uh, one best picture. Like, okay, firstly, before I get into talking about Grinding Nemo. Uh, let's look at the other nominees that year. I'm not going to call it by the shape of water for the rest of the episode. Okay, okay. okay. All right. uh, let's look at the other nominees. There's Call Me By Your Name, which is... Okay. Uh, I mean, I love that movie. It's it's again in the vein of Moonlight, in the vein of hmm. uh, Brokeback Mountain. In fact, I, the fact that it's a, it's a movie about two gay men is incidental. It's a love story. Hmm. The fact that yeah. it's gay is incidental. That's how I look at Call Me By Your Name. It's a beautiful, and it's a love affair with Tuscany. There's Call Me By Your exactly. Name. There hmm. is um, Darkest Star, which I haven't seen. So I, I, I'm not in a position to comment whether it's good or bad. Then there's Dunkirk, which is hmm. like, okay, like, whatever. Yeah. Then there's Get Out, which, I mean, come on, right? Like, where is Grinding Nemo? Where's Get Out? It's a social statement. It's a, it's a landmark film. It's it's amazing. And what a what a debut directorial debut. What a what a breakout film. And there's Lady mm-hmm. Bird again, a great coming of age movie. A great movie about mother daughter relationship. It's again a very complicated movie. Mm-hmm. Lovely, lovely, lovely one time watch at the very least. And there's Phantom yeah. Thread, which is again whatever. PTA is like it's a PTA is a very. Uh, what do you call it? Device yeah, it's more or less a lock-in. If he, yeah, if he if mm. if he makes a movie, he is going to be in the mix. And there's the post mm. again. Sort of, I felt it was a bit Oscar baity, but yeah, I, I didn't like the post. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But then there's three billboards mm. outside Ebbing, Missouri. So I, from this list, I can easily say Call Me by Your Name, Get Out, maybe Lady Bird, and three billboards. There are at least three movies which are better than Grinding Nemo. I honestly have no idea why the fuck this movie won Best Oscar, Best Picture, and all the other awards. Sally Hawkins, did she win? I think, yeah, she did. Which I, I can Sally agree Hawkins with won. you. It was, a, it was a good performance. But, I mean, you're fucking fish, dude. Revaluate your life's priorities. I quite like this movie. I don't know about you. I feel like I've always mentioned, and this I know, I was extremely happy when Game of Del Toro won. Because I think he wins Best Director as well for this. Um... And I remember being so happy for Del Toro because he has this, I mentioned this before on other episodes about marrying like present day issues with fantastical elements. And with Pan's Labyrinth, I think is the, the pinnacle of that. And this is a real nice, I mean, as much as you want to call it about a film where like you really like bring it down to just a, a, a woman fucking a fish. Come <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Come yeah. on. Like, I mean, if that would be doing a disservice <laughs> to the film and just generally what, it, what it's about. And It's about fucking fish, I mean. Yeah. But okay, sorry. Course, yeah. Continue. It's, it's, I remember watching this film and being very engrossed and, and enchanted by just the premise and the characters in there. And I think it's set in a time where racism is very prevalent in, in 40s America. I believe it's somewhere around the 40s. Richard Hawkins, I think, is in this in this film as well, who plays one of, uh, I think, her her neighbor. Richard Jenkins? Jenkins, right. Sorry, not Hawkins. Damn, my bad. Richard Jenkins. Who's Richard Hawkins? Um, but but yeah, I remember having a real fun time with the film. I love the, the 40s soundtrack that, it, that accompanies it. So I don't um, have an issue with this. Compared to the competitors, Get Out, I think, again... Get Out's biggest mistake with the Academy is that it's an Oscar, it's a horror film, and that immediately it like turns half the, the jury away for some reason. It should have won. I still believe it should have won. I feel it was, it, it, there was a social commentary that it brought out that was absolutely hilarious uh, and very scary uh, given the times that we were living in. The Tia Bings is also a, a heartbreaking story that has its moments of, of comedy and then there's that one sequence in the middle that I just I feel is unnecessarily brutal, unnecessarily brutal, um, which kind of took me out of it. So I don't 
really um what do you call I would it? say the first half an hour 40 minutes of three being three billboards i was just like fuck this movie is a fuck yeah, exactly yeah Hmm. and then i mean it like the, Francis makes someone the first time she goes to the police station and she asks like what, what what you guys are doing nothing which is why i'm having to do this shit like fucking yeah. walk up i'm like oh, this movie is powerful yes mark mcdonald stepper and there is unnecessary brutality you are right and uh, yeah. sam rockwell's character is abrasive he is a difficult character to forget to root for to even watch yeah. so i get why you're exactly. coming from but very mm. hard hitting movie Yeah and I think they ultimately went with the safest bet for that year which was uh, Shape of Water it was the least controversial I mean it was she's fucking fish bro <laughs> it's fine <laughs> it looks like it was like a south park episode come to life right sorry with the that they kept tripping on um but I could remember watching this movie this is uh, back in chennai there was a bunch of us who used to like in uh, come together and watch a few films uh, together if we could I don't want to go as far as calling it a movie watching club that sounds pretentious mm. but um, mm. that's what we used to do in this one evening it was after a while we were like okay let's make the time let's watch something and uh we made like snacks popcorn this that settle down at home put it on on tv if we streaming it or whatever and we like hey this movie is oscar nominated it's it's in the running game del toro nice mm. la I find the more I firstly I find the story too tepid it's a mm. like if you take the fish fish fucking out of the scene <laughs> if you take fish fucking out of the picture right this is like yeah. the straightest romantic drama film there is this is like yeah. QSQT with fish fucking like <laughs> think about it it's like boy meets girl their parents in this case society at large does mm. not approve of mm. them so they decide yeah. to run away and okay in kayamat se kayamat tak they both sorry spoiler alert they both die at the end here i don't know what her plan is is she going to be in an arc, like scuba dive or what her i don't know how they're going to consume it but anyway this guy so that's that's my takeaway shape of water is sorry not shape of water grinding nemo is qsqt <laughs> with fish fucking my only gripe with this film and this is the only gripe i have this movie is that i felt like they reused the fish costume from from hellboy and that was like is this a hellboy sequel or a, is this a prequel what's happening here uh dog dealer so i mean that's the only gripe i have this i know you have a distinct dislike for it i don't think it's like an exceptionally great film i think it's, it's a good film uh and i just feel that's just a more irritated because there are at least three movies that year that deserved it more call me by your name get out or three billboards I feel definitely deserved it more than. I don't think the Oscars know. have the balls to give Get Out the winner. That's the problem. The award. That I guess, is. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that's the end of the episode. We've come to the end. <laughs> yep. Any yeah, more left? No, I think it's a good note. This is fish fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that is the note we're going to end the episode on. It had to be that, <laughs> didn't it? But, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, let us know which films that have you watched that you think deserve to win the best picture. I'll leave a little space for you guys to uh, give us your thoughts and your comments. And we'll see you on the next one. Hopefully, this year's Oscars uh, does not spring some unpleasant surprises and the rightful winners yeah. end up winning. See, you. okay, that's us. Take it. So they opened their big mouths, and now came talk, talk, talk.